Hey, everybody. My name is Andrew Krause. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight, and I'm going to be doing a full hour of Q&A with you guys. So if somebody could just type in yes to confirm that you can hear me, I just want to make sure my mic is working because you never know. Sometimes YouTube glitches. Usually it works just fine. Um, <coughs> uh, let's see. Okay, great. Thanks. I, I got that from Edgar. So you guys don't have to type in. I guess if he can hear, all you guys can hear. Thank you. Um, I want to uh, basically say that, you know, so I'm, I went to Hawaii and I got COVID. And so I was sick for my trip in Hawaii, which that sucks. So if I seem like I'm talking a little with a little restricted breathing, cause I'm still getting over it. Um, I'm not like feeling like I'm waking up, like I'm drowning, like I was for about three days when I was in Hawaii, that was terrible. Um, I seem to have escaped it this whole pandemic. I didn't uh, get it, but I got it now. So, you know, hey, we're all going to get it at some point, I guess. Um, anyway, so uh, I might take a little second break from talking for the entire hour just to read your question or something. So I'm not like exhausting myself too much, but I, I'm a talker, as you guys know, so that's not too big of a problem. Um, what we cover here at InventRight is licensing. So when you're licensing, you don't need to raise money because the big company you license to, it's their money. You don't need to um, hire employees because they're employees. For instance, one of our coaches, Kirk, he licensed the product to a tool company, his wrench. They have over 9,000 products. So, you know, they have a lot of employees. Um, and so he doesn't need to hire employees because they have employees and they're just going to plug that product in their money their employees and their existing distribution. So if a company's in 30,000 stores or 10,000 or 50,000 stores or wherever they distribute, that's what they're gonna do with your product, hopefully. So um, you're tapping into money, workforce and existing distribution, basically a machine that already does the type of product that you want to sell and it's a good match for their product line and they're gonna take it on as theirs and then you get paid royalties quarterly. So. I, uh, every deal we've done, I've seen one or two that were paid monthly, but they're almost always paid quarterly every three months. Um, and I've said this before, you know, when you're licensing, you can have delusions of grandeur. It's kind of a joke, but not really. And you're not delusional because for that big company to sell half a million units a year, to sell 2 million units a year, to sell 50,000 units a year, whatever's normal for your type of product is normal for them. But for you to try to do that, that would be really, really difficult. So that's the beauty of licensing. You can think really big, which is how most inventors think about their product. Um, and I'm not saying there's products that are small and you're licensed it to a smaller company. And, you know, maybe you make 20,000 a year on it, but then you got this other one over here where you're making 200,000 a year. It all depends on the type of product and it could be all over the map. You license a little gag novelty gift to a mom and pop operation that has very little distribution. Hey, maybe you're only earning $5,000 over its entire lifetime. It's all over the map. But if you want to go big, you can license to very large companies and make significant royalties. We don't sell the make millions overnight crap that a lot of people do on the internet. Um, that's not really how licensing works. Even if you did a licensing deal today, you know, they're probably not going to be, it's probably not going to hit the market for a year. You know, there's some industries where it could hit it in six months, but with all the supply chain issues and stuff, it takes even longer. That's how it was before, by the way. But with all the supply chain issues, it might take an extra two, three, four months for them to get it to the market. 
And that's fine. You know, you've moved on, you're licensing other products um, and you could never do it as fast as they would do it on your own. Um, and to be honest with you, for those of you that are still entertaining the thought of uh, venturing your product and selling it yourself, I think that's, unless you're manufacturing in the US, I think that's a pretty crazy thing to be doing right now. There has always been a lot of fake companies in China that say they'll make it for you and then they just take off with your money. But right now, if even large companies have a hard time getting their product, can you imagine like launching a new product now and getting it and learning how to work with a Chinese contract manufacturer to get the product brought over here? That's just not a really a good time for a rookie on that. You're better off to license it. Let that big company deal with it. Um, all right. So, uh, oh, uh, Hill Dog said, invent right rules. Okay. I, I think that means we rule that we're cool. But also, a few rules. Um, don't consider anything that I say to you today to be considered legal advice. Please, it's just general business advice and for educational purposes, okay? So please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. So that's our little disclaimer that I usually only remember to give like halfway in most of the time. All right, so let's get to the first question. Um, and I'm, oh, by the way, um, we have a contest and I'll mention this towards the end too. Um, we have hit 60,000 subscribers, as you can see down below here on YouTube, over 5 million views. We're really, really proud of that. Um, there is nobody else that educates inventors even close to us on YouTube. I, I know my daughter, she's uh, she's nine now, but when she was younger, she used to watch like two girls play with Barbie dolls on a YouTube video. And I'm like, oh my God, that thing has a million views. Okay. But that's in that area. But in this area with educating inventors, we're very proud that we that so many people trust us and listen to us that we've hit 60,000 subscribers, almost 900 videos and um, over 5 million views. So um, so we're celebrating that with a contest. We're giving away $10,000 worth of prizes, our premium coaching program four academy pro programs and then two um, design studio um, packages that include a sell sheet and a virtual prototype and those other uh, the premium program does as well. Um, so if you go to inventright.com, you can learn more about that. You can enter the contest. Um, the deadline is Sunday the 17th. So that's $10,000 worth of prizes. I feel cheesy saying that, but that's what it is. I'm proud that we're giving it. And it's our way of saying thank you for watching us and for us hitting 60,000 subscribers, over 5 million views. So <clears throat> um, the only criteria there is you have to do a video on why you'd make a good InventRight student. And it has to be under a minute. If it's one second over 60 seconds, you're disqualified. And then it has to be submitted by Sunday um, at midnight Pacific time. Okay. So very little time there. So if you guys are fans and you're interested in signing up, but you're like, oh, I wasn't ready yet, or I can't afford it right now, do the, do the contest. And it's gonna be very democratic. All the employees, I think we have about 23 employees in VetWrite are gonna watch videos and then we're gonna vote on it. And then we'll have seven winners. So it's one premium, four academy, and then um, coaching program, and then uh, two, so that's seven. So seven people will win. So that's pretty cool. Um, so maybe later I'll find the link. Let me. Let me see if it um, 
if there's a pop-up on our website because well oh i'll just make it easy just find the youtube video right here on our channel so if you go to our channel um it was posted this morning at 9 a.m pacific i guess that would be 12 um eastern and you can find that video and below in the description is the link so i don't have it on me right now anyway enough of that um let's get to some questions here um and oh and then if you're not subscribed click down below because our new goal is eighty thousand subscribers you know so um make sure to subscribe if you're not subscribed uh rick here invent right student with brad so he's is it's we don't have as that many invent right students on these because more of the public but that's cool so um it's easy to procrastinate, but with coaching, I filed my first PPA just before 4th of July. That's great. That's not that long ago. Very exciting. Um, on LinkedIn and on to LinkedIn and calling. Cool. Got the LinkedIn book by Stephen too. Excellent. So um, we train our students to use a program called Smart Pitch. It's a program we created. And it's basically just here's specifically how you use LinkedIn to license. And every other Tuesday, we have a our expert, Benjamin Harrison, comes on and talks to our students about it. And then we have training videos on it. And it shows you how to reach out to uh, companies on LinkedIn, which I highly recommend that all you guys do. Um, I personally hate Facebook. I like what it could be. Maybe I could work to make it what, but I, I don't want to know what people's politics are um, on Facebook or what they ate for dinner. Um, I think it's just got absolutely toxic. It's ridiculous. Um, so I don't like a lot of social media, but I freaking love LinkedIn. It's not about all that on LinkedIn. It's about, um, connecting with marketing managers at these large companies. And so I encourage you guys all to get on LinkedIn. Now, if you don't approach it right, I think there was a question in a little bit here. I'll get to it in a minute. Um, it says they're having no success there. Sometimes we have students that try a few things and then they join uh, one of our smart pitch sessions that are for our students. It's a Zoom sessions where we talk about reaching out. Oh, this and this isn't working. We're like, we'll try this and this. And then they come back in the next session. Great. I got to know a bunch of companies. And so it's very real. Our students talk to Benjamin and each other about what's working, what's not. They're working one-on-one -on -one with their coach too. That's the big thing. Um, but if you're licensing your product, and you're not on LinkedIn, you need to get on LinkedIn. Now, we also teach people to reach out via email and via the phone. If you're just using LinkedIn and you're not using, let's say you got 30 companies and 18, you got to hold them on LinkedIn, but 12 are just crickets and nobody's replying. Well, you need to pick up the stupid phone and, and call them. Okay. So I don't like it when people just rely on the phone because they say, oh, I don't like social media. I'm like, well, you don't like social media, but LinkedIn isn't like the rest of social media if you use it the way that we teach you to use it, you'll be fine with it. You won't see all that stuff that you don't like on social media, or if you do, it's very easy to turn it off. Um, but just going on the phones because you don't like social media, that's a mistake. Now, just going, well, I'm afraid of making a call, so I'm just going to use LinkedIn, that's a mistake as well. And then using different techniques we teach as well. But you're not done until you get a no from everybody. But um, so my two cents is saying, um, hey, I did my PPA. I didn't procrastinate, even though I could have, and I went for it. Now I'm going to get up and running on LinkedIn and calling. That's fantastic. Um, you also said it's Stephen. Stephen is our other co-founder, S-T-P-H-E-N, but everyone in the video seems to call him Stephen with a V. Yeah, he, he pronounces it Stephen. So Stephen is one of those names where it can be a P-H or a V, but a lot of people with the P-H still pronounce it with a V, like Stephen. 
So I, I don't call him Stefan. He doesn't want to be called Stefan. Um, I think it varies, but um, it is Stephen Key, so that is correct. Um, uh, so Ollie, here we go with the LinkedIn question. I can't, sorry, my nose is a little bit itchy. I can't seem to get anyone replying on LinkedIn. My profile is professional and I try to make my first message professional and personable. Still no cigar. I, I, I don't, my guess is you're not approaching it right, Ollie. You know, so if you were an event rights student, you get on with a coach, they would say, what are you, what are you using? Um, we actually give our students some templates to use. Um, and also, you know, you need to be careful with LinkedIn because when you send a message and they don't reply, and then you send another message, they're going to see your second message, but they're also going to see everyone before. And that's what gets me really pissed off with the spammers, uh, like spam me again and again and again. And I'm like, eventually, I, I have a, actually a ex text expansion I, where I can just type a few letters and expands this little message. And I tell them to take a hike. I'm like, you sent me five messages. I said no. No is no. Screw off. You know. And so when you're licensing, you don't, you know, you send an email, they might not see the prior emails. But when you send a LinkedIn message, they're going to see the prior messages. So you have to be very careful about what you send. Um, I have people that think they're being professional, but they're not, or there's no call to action, or they're just not approaching it right. So one thing that I can say, Ollie, is um, you're not sending anything. You're just asking permission to send something. So hopefully that's what you're doing. You never want to send an unsolicited sell sheet or video or send them what your product is without at first asking permission. So if you're doing that, you are straight up being unprofessional. I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying if anybody does that without asking permission, you're being unprofessional. Also, maybe you're sending this long rambling thing. Nobody has time. Like it should be a sentence or two at most. It should be very, very short. Um, then, uh, Rick said, Andrew seems like a good time to talk about the invent, right? LinkedIn program. Yeah, Ollie. So, um, we, we help our students with that. And with all this stuff, there's always a bit of a struggle and it's like not kind of working, not always. And then, and then it starts to pop, but people tend to give up too soon. Um, now when you have a coach or you have us, we're constantly going, oh, you were a little off there. Let's put you back on track. But when you're on your own, you're like, this isn't working. This isn't working. And you just keep punching the brick wall and go, why doesn't it work? And, and then you might have the right intuition. You think you're being professional, but you're not. Or you're just not approaching it from the right angle, you know. Um, so, but it does work. It does work. But even with what we teach our students, it's not uncommon to send to 10 companies and not a single one responds. Now, different industries and different people, just the particular people you're reaching out to, you know, Ollie, I would take a look and go see if they have any activity on their profile. You might be getting crickets because you're sending to a marketing manager that hasn't been on LinkedIn in 10 months. They're not on there. So now you're assuming they're not responding. It's like, look and see if there's any other activity on their accounts. So there's a lot of things you can do to kind of figure it out. But I, I think it's good that you bring up that you're upset about it because you know you need to you need to adjust now, and that's a lot what a lot about what licensing is, learning licensing is, and learning to do it correctly. And um, when you have a coach to keep you on track, when you're on your own, sometimes people just get upset and then they give up. That's not good. Um, let's see. Uh, old guy is their handle. That's funny. 
How complete does my original PPA have to be if I plan to follow up with more through PPA, a more file a more thorough PPA from an attorney when funds are generated by a sale? Well, I, I don't think you ever need to have a patent attorney file your PPA. I mean, you can use our software and file a PPA. We only charge 99 bucks for it. So you can do that at any point in time. Um, filing a PPA, 80% of it is you don't need an attorney for that. It's just thinking about the workarounds, variations, improvements of your product. Because if you go, well, this is what it is, and you you don't go, well, here are other five other ways of doing it that are just as good or 75% as good. Why include a version that's half as good? That's just being an inventor. You can do that. So no, oh, when I have or get some traction or have some funds, I'll give money to a patent attorney. They're not going to do that. If you don't do that, they won't. They'll take whatever you sent them and they'll just file it. So you don't need to wait for a patent attorney to file a good PPA, old guy. Um, I'm not calling you old guy. That's your handle. Um, you can do that right now. So just do a good job right now. That's my answer to that. Um, Corey says, does InventRight deal with app ideas? Um, if you're a software developer and you have a background and experience in apps, otherwise I discourage, I, whenever I have seen an inventor that has an app idea and then they got a kitchen gadget, a gardening product, an automotive product or something, I go work on one of those. So they're just, the software guys will look at you and go, well, that's, that's all great, dude. That's a great idea, air quotes, but that's gonna take six guys in a room a year to program. When you can't, with the software guys, when you can't talk intelligently about what backend database it uses or this or that, um, they're just not going to license from you. So that's why I say if you have a software background, you're either a software developer or you've been in that business, then I think you can license products, um, apps. But it, 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 it's very different because it's, you know, it's kind of ironic that I say that because like if you add a new kitchen gadget and it's a spatula for flipping pancakes and it does it differently and they're like, oh yeah, I see what you did there a little differently. Oh, we can do that. Okay, we're good. We'll just make a new injection mold. So it's like for all these product ideas, even complex product ideas, non-complex product ideas, if they can look at it and go, oh yeah, we can make it, you didn't need to prove it. But also, you know, they're making an injection mold. Quite often it's easier to get up and running, but it doesn't take tons of programming to make it happen. So the software geeks, they just don't see as much value in an idea as um, as the consumer product companies or industrial product companies do for an idea where you're like, I understand my improvement. The existing ones are made like this. You're going to put a hinge over here. They're like, oh, clever. OK. And that's the end of the conversation. But you're asking these software guys to do a bunch of work and also just their mindset and the bigger software companies. Good luck. Um, so, but if you got an app and you're a software developer, have a background in software, yeah, I think you can do it. But if everybody and their grandmother has um, an iPad these days, when I go to the airport, which I was recently because I went to Hawaii, they all have iPads. Do they know how to, they don't barely know how to run a computer, some of these older folks, but they can use an iPad. So everybody and their grandmother has an iPad or a phone and they go, I got an app idea, right? And these software developers are quite frankly tired of hearing it because you're like, you don't, as a person that doesn't understand apps, know the difference between a simple app and a super complicated app. Well, you didn't need to do that and that and that. And, and, and they just get irritated by that. So that's my answer. It's a pretty in-depth answer. It's a pretty accurate answer. It's a very real answer. So if you have ideas and you're an idea person, 
focus on physical products rather than apps. If you're a professional uh, software developer, you could do it. You can do it. But otherwise, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, they also want to see more in the way of development. Now, you can't spend a few bucks on a virtual prototype and a sell sheet and show it to them in a PPA. Now you're going to have to spend a ton of money developing this kind of app and show how it works and stuff. And that's just too risky. Um, uh, Marcus here, he says, do you think it would be possible to license a feature that would be a piece of an existing software? For example, having the green screen background changing feature in a video editor. Um, well, let's go back to what I just talked about. That's good timing. Apps are very, very difficult and software is very, very difficult. Um, I do kind of like that you're just, if you're just changing an aspect to their existing software, I kind of like that. Your example is a little weird. So, and without telling me exactly what the product is, I can't answer it. And you shouldn't, nobody should disclose their invention publicly on here. Um, so I like, Licensing is tapping into what's already out there. So if a company is doing dog toys and you got a dog toy and they got 50 dog toys, well, great. That's a good match for their product line. They're either interested in their product or they aren't. So um, if you've got to change the way a software is done and it doesn't just work for that one company, because when you're licensing, you're never trying to license to one company. You're trying to license to 20 or 30, and you're hoping that one will say yes. You're not playing the numbers game if you try to license to one company. And this applies to software, applies to everything. So if you go, oh, it'd be great for this one company. It's for this particular product. And I go, I always say to that inventor, great. Can it apply to 20 other companies' products too? If so, great product to work on. If it could only apply to this one company and nobody else, well, that would be a stupid project to work on. I'm exaggerating and saying stupid just to get your attention. I don't think it makes sense to spend the time on it, guys. Like 20 or 30 chances for success is a lot better than one. And so some people get so obsessed with their idea, they don't look at the the the, the market facts and the, the statistical chances of you having success. And you should. And that's a big thing InventRight does. We make you think about these things. And it can help you be more professional. So... I'm glad that I'm here to say that so you guys can think like a pro inventor, just like we teach our students to. So when we're training our students, students will have these thoughts and they'll go off on tangents and the coach will bring them back and go, here's why you should be here and not over here. And they're like, oh, that makes sense. you know. And because they're actually taking action and moving forward with their inventions, they're listening to their coach. They don't have to listen to their coach. They can go rogue and go off onto a tangent. But you know, most of the time they do because they're like, oh, that, that's logical. But so... It's about being more logical than emotional. And when you're early to this game, people are more emotional than logical. So we, we I never really stated it that way, but it's true. Um, so uh, Roaming Tortoise, I can't, Marcus, I can't say specifically without knowing your invention, but generally I'd stay away from software. Um, uh Andrew, I'm Andre. So Andre, I am researching my idea when looking up Google Images. Uh, is that worldwide? Ooh, that's a good question. So grateful for the opportunity you are giving us. I'm looking forward to become a student in the near future. Um, you know, with Google Images, you, you know, I was working with an inventor the other day and he was in South Africa and he wasn't finding the same searches. This wasn't Google Images as I was. So 
you know, I do think it's important. There's a couple ways you can do this, that you do take a look at that. And I do think that the search results, whether it's Google image or another image, is going to be different in the country you're, you're in. If you want to get fancy, what I told the South African vendors, I said, you got to get a VPN. You can get VPNs for like 99 cents or there's ones that are free. Okay. And what a VPN does is it will mask your internet address to make you look like you're in the U.S. even if you're South Africa or if you're in the U.S. to make it look like you're in Germany or wherever. And then it will show you different search results. I think that because the companies that our students are licensing to, um, for the most part, are in the U.S. and Canada, and they might be Australian, they might be South African, they might be European companies, but they're really big and they're here. I'd say that's perfectly fine to focus there. But if you're outside of the U.S., I do think it makes sense to use a VPN. There's free VPNs and make it look like you just change it on your computer. It's software on your computer. And you say United States, you can pick any state in the United States or any place. And then it will show you U.S. search results because you might find different stuff. I do think that's something that's worth doing. And I'm going to guess that it will change your results on Google Images. Okay, I'm gonna, that's a good 90% guess. I, mean, I haven't actually done it, so I don't know for sure. But people do get different results when they're overseas. But, you know, um, Andre's question was, if I think he was, if he's searching in the U.S., is that going to search worldwide? Yes, to a certain extent, I think it will. Um, but then I think you might miss some stuff. So uh, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. But so if you're in the U.S., you could use a VPN, make it look like you're in Europe or in Asia, and then see if you get some different results, find some different products. I could see that being beneficial. So the term for that is VPN, Victor, Paul, Nancy. Okay. If you don't know what that is, it's very simple. And there's a ton of free ones out there. So like, People in China use that so they can say things that the government doesn't see them saying. And you got to get a good VPN for that because you don't want to go to jail because you said the wrong thing if you live in a country like China where they're watching what you're doing. But for this purpose, you guys could just use a free VPN and it would be fine. So I don't even think, don't go out there and spend 20 bucks a month for a VPN. I think Firefox, my browser has one for 99 cents a month. Um, but you could just get a free one and you could be fine with that. So I don't think this should cost you guys anything if you want to play with it. Um, it's kind of a good thing to know. And it's not, you don't have to be super geeky to use one. It's super easy, guys. Um, uh, okay. And you're also looking forward to becoming a student in the near future. That's great, Andre. We'll be, we'll be around. I don't know if you join late. And for any of these guys joining late, um, you should check out the most recent video on the InventRight TV channel. Not now, because you're watching me, but later. And we're giving away $10,000 worth of coaching. So we're doing one premium program, four academy programs, and two um, design studio packages to celebrate that we've been um, doing InventRight TV for, and we hit 60,000 subscribers with over 5 million views. So um, you might want to check that out. And that's on our InventRight channel right here on YouTube. And it's just, it's the, it's pretty obvious. It's the video with all the fireworks and stuff. So the deadline to subscribe, to subscribe, to submit your video on why you'd make a good InventRight student is this Sunday, the 17th at USA Pacific time, um, Pacific time, uh, midnight. So if I, if I'm not super articulate today or slur my words a little bit, because like I said, I'm, I'm still getting over COVID and I'm a little bit tired by the end of the day. It's the end of my day here. Um, um, let's see. Okay. Uh, J Ron said, I wanted to know if you have multiple different ways to make
and you include all those ways. Okay, absolutely, you can and you should, and that's doing a good your PPA. So you may decide, hey, this is the one version I want to do in the marketing materials, but I want to cover these other versions. Now, don't get obsessed with it. If there's a version that's 40 or 50% as good as what you're pitching, you're just wasting your time putting that in there. But if it's 75% as good, just as good, but just different, 80% as good, throw all that in there. It doesn't cost you a dime to do it. And you should. And that means you're doing a good job with your PPA. Absolutely should. And you can. You can do all those different variations and throw them in there. Um, and we get back to, let's see, Hill Dog said invent right rules. Thank you, Hill Dog. Uh, has anybody ever licensed? Uh, yeah, so Arturo is asking if people license um, their product without getting a PPA first. The approach that we and that we teach um, the public is to pay first because it's only $75. So $75 is not throwing $10,000 at a patent attorney. Um, and if you get a patent attorney to do a provisional patent, I'd say it could, it could cost you a grand or two. It's not throwing a grand or two at a patent attorney. It's $75. That's the patent office filing fee. So, um, and this isn't specifically to you, Arturo, but to me, if you don't have $75, you need to get your financial house in order to before you start working on licensing your products. Now, some of you are in different countries and $75 is a lot of money there. And so um, I understand that. And I also understand if you're very prolific, which most of you might not be yet, but and you're, you're working on um, four or five new products a month. Well, if you work on five products a month, let's say four. So that's like $75 times four. That's uh, $300. And you do that for 10 months. Okay, that asks for new products a month. It's $75 a provisional. And you do that for 10 months, <clears throat> that's $3,000. Okay. All right. So if you got really prolific, I could see how the PPA might add up to some sort of money. Um, uh, but, you know, and so officially we tell all our students always and the public always to file a provisional. Because it, because it gives you the warm and fuzzies. You got like a stake in the sand that you're protected for a year and you can go fishing. And, and it's advisable. Um, but I have never had one of our students, now I've talked to the people in the public because they're not doing things correctly and saying crazy things to companies sometimes. But I've never had one of our students that I'm aware of get knocked off by a company they presented to. So with that in mind, now they're conducting themselves professionally, doing, saying the right things, not pissing off companies, I'm not saying pissing off companies is a right to steal it. But I, I, I've talked to some inventors where I talked to this one inventor where they got really far along. I think they've been talking to the company, he said like eight months. He was not an invent right student. He didn't really know us that much from the show either. So he wasn't educated there. And he, they didn't really talk about the deal. And the company, I think, spent like like eight grand on a prototype or something because they really wanted to move forward. And I guess the conversations went well enough. But when it came time to talk about money, the inventor insisted that the company give him half a million dollars up front. And that's just idiotic. You know, um, you get your money on the back end. I don't care if this is a product that could make you two million dollars a year. You don't ask for that kind of money up front. You just don't do it. And anybody, if, if you want to kill deals, do that all day long. Most of our students, the deals they do, literally, it's just a very little, little bit of upfront money, maybe just the money to pay for the patent. So let's say you got a competent, independent patent practitioner, it's 10 grand, and you tell them, look, I want to, 
can advance on royalties. I'm going to use that money to pay for the patent, which can protect me and you. And they're like, oh, that's very level-headed. Okay, so that's what most of our students are doing. They're not asking for a bunch of upfront money. So, um, so what I'm saying is some inventors do whacked out stuff and that'll mess you up, you know? But if you're doing, if you're being level-headed about it, could you not file a provisional patent? Reach out 20 or 30 companies privately, show it, and then and then uh, just hope that one of them doesn't knock you off and then license it? Or like, oh, I got a lot of traction. Okay, I'm going to spend 75 bucks here. Okay, now, after I got some interest from a company. Could you do that? Yes. Do we advise you to do that? No. But, you know, I'm not living in a third world country where 75 bucks is a ton of money, you know? And so... I really so and if if there was somebody living in a third world country where 75 bucks is a ton of money, but hey, they could cobble together a virtual prototype or prototype and get a sell sheet and be in the game, that's a beautiful thing, you know. But you're gonna be taking some risk there. But if you don't act like that wacky inventor that asks for a half million up front and you're acting like our students that are level-headed, like I explained just a minute ago, it's highly unlikely that that's gonna happen to you. Now, different industries are different, most of them are very friendly, like Packaging is a brutal industry. They'll try to figure out a way around it if they can. Most of the industries our students are working in is not. You know, you do a kitchen gadget, you got a gardening tool, you got a home storage organization product. Um, tools are a little bit harder. Patents are a little bit more important with tools. If you ask me, it's worth definitely worth spending the provisional. But officially, we're telling you, we tell all our students, go ahead and file the provisional. But and and Arturo, I'm not saying you're in a third world country. Just give me an example. Maybe you're just flat broke, you know. And so, could you do that? Yeah. Have we had students that have done that and then specifically licensed the product? I don't know. I need to look back. I mean, the student, the people that we have licensing products aren't our fans. They're our students because the coach is on them and they're pushing them and they're out there and. Our approach is to always file a provisional patent and they signed up with our coaching program. They get the software. So for them to spend the money for a coaching program, not to spend $75, you know, they obviously have the money. So my guess is we probably don't have too many people that have licensed products that didn't file a PPA. Would that kill the deal? Hell no, that wouldn't kill the deal. Now, what I like about it is when you file a provisional, you can legally say patent pending on the sell sheet. You don't have to say provisional patent pending. If you didn't file a PPA, you can't do that, okay? So it just creates an aura of professionalism. So you could do that if you wanted to. I'm not advising you to do that. That's not legal advice, but you could do it if you wanted to. Um, and I realize some people are in financial position where um, they might want to do that, but I'm still not advising you to do it. Um, uh, Paul says, hi, Andrew. Are card games easier to license than board games? And are the royalties different? Well, that's interesting. I think card games and board games after the pandemic have really taken off. Um, I played a bunch of card games with my nine-year-old daughter this weekend. Um, and we were having fun with that. We played a board game, actually, too. Um, I think they're both good. Um, I think card games are less of a commitment because it's just cards. It's a deck. Like, <laughs> they don't have to have an injection mold to make some pieces and stuff like that. So I don't know if I would say they were easier. I would say they're a little bit more straightforward. Um, the inventor that did this product, Phase 10, really cool dude. He's not one of our students. He's a successful inventor that I happen to know. Um, 
he is earning royalties. I don't know the number of years. It's some crazy period of time, like 20 years. He's been earning royalties on this, this phase 10 product and an insane amount of money on that. Um, so that's a big success story with card games. Um, I, I, I don't know with the card games versus board games. I think it depends on how each one is good. It seems to me a little bit um, less involved to do a card game than a board game. But, you know, I, I think it depends on the company. If a company like has 80% board games and they have like 20% card games, another company has 80% card games, 20% board games, it depends on the company you're sending to, you know, as well. But I, I don't think one is necessarily easier, uh, harder than the other. I'd say go with whatever you think is fun. I think either is fine there. Um, Edgar said, hi, Andrew, my PPA is about to expire in two months. If I enter the new PPA, how minimal does the change need to be in order for the for it to be similarly protected as the original? Um, so first off, you could take that exact same PPA and file it today and you get a year from today. So when you you don't extend a PPA, um, you you basically Basically, when you file a PPA, I've, I have, I've explained this like a bazillion times, but everybody's always new and there's always, you know, it's important because it's a common question. When you file a PPA, you need to file a full utility within a year to preserve that date that the PPA gives you. Now, let's say you worked on license. A lot of people, they get all excited. They hear about PPAs from us and they file it or from somewhere else and they don't know how to license. And they're like, oh, my PPA is going to run out in two months. Does that mean you should spend 10 grand on a provisional patent to preserve that filing date? Hell no. You know, I mean, you know, and again, everything I shared with you today is not legal advice. You can file that same PPA, exact same, it doesn't have to be different, PPA today and you'll get a year from today. And then in two months, that one that was before, that has its year timeline and that will run out. Providing you haven't made public disclosure and most people consider privately showing it for a license to not be considered public disclosure. But now putting it up for sale on a website or making a public YouTube video or selling a swap meet, that is public disclosure. So once you hit one year there, you're toast, okay? <coughs> um, now, if you have a change to it, good time to make a change. So before the PPA had A and B in it and you're filing a new one, good time to think about, hey, what do I need to add? And oh, I'm gonna add C, because it's another version. You don't have to do that in order to get that protection. Now, you would if you made public disclosure and it's been more than a year, that new thing you're protected for C, but the other stuff that you made a public disclosure of, which again, like I said, showing it to companies privately is not really considered public disclosure. You kind of get in the weeds there. So don't quote me specifically on that, but that's how I feel about it. Um, so hopefully that helps. That's my long ramble on that. Um, Brooke says, first time watching live. Awesome. Hope you get well soon, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, we're 39 minutes in. I just love answering your guys' questions. I I'm not exhausted. I can last another 21 minutes. I'll be good. As long as I drink a little bit of water. Um, yeah. Our students, uh, James was asking, have, have our students licensed tech products or anything that can be integrated into another? Yeah, I mean, over 22 years, our students have licensed everything under the sun. Sometimes people just think it it's like this type of stuff behind me, but it's a lot of stuff like I had a guy that licensed this giant boring drill for drilling into the earth the size of a Volkswagen bug. 
um, and all sorts of different stuff. So, um, yeah, now I don't know what you mean by tech products. Maybe if we have time, if you could type in a little bit more specific what you mean by tech products, because um, that can vary all over the map. Hector says, hi, friends. Welcome, Hector. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, Miss Tish Adams. Happy Monday, Andrew. It's been two years and I'm still waiting for it to hit the market. So I don't know what it is. And if you licensed it two years ago and it hasn't hit the market or if you haven't licensed it yet. So maybe you can give us some more. Um, nobody at all. Okay. me. I think you mean you haven't licensed it yet. So I'm speaking in general, not just to you, Tish. Let's assume you have not licensed this yet. You need to move on to another product. Now, am I telling you to put this thing in the garbage can? Hell no. Put it on a shelf. Work on another product for six months and then pull that thing back off the shelf and resend it to everybody that said no if they didn't give you a specific reason why not, and then show it to them again. I get students licensing all, all the time that way. So it makes it easier to move on to another product if you know you're not throwing in the garbage can, but you're gonna push it out to the companies again. And so people are like, why would I do that, Andrew? They said, no, it's like, well, you said to a marketing manager, they're busy, they're inundated with products, with, with projects and things to do and emails, and they get your email. And they say no, but they may have loved your product. But they said no, because they're too busy. So it's the company isn't rejecting your product. The person is. And that happens to be the person that's in charge of it, if it's a marketing manager. But so if they give you the kind of not at this time, not a right match, resend it like eight months later. And I get students licensing stuff all the time that way. Most almost no inventors would ever do that. We only started guiding our students to do that about out of our 22 year history, about nine, 10 years ago, you know. And so instead of just festering i'm not saying you're doing this trish but i tish but i see a lot of people doing this i'm just so i still didn't license i still didn't license you're just plodding along with the same product it's great you can keep plodding along with it why don't you throw another one in the mix and that'll keep you a little distracted and moving on something else so you're not just sitting there waiting you know um and also if you're not an event rights student somebody's been coaching you there may be a solid reason why you're not making progress too and did you reach out to 30 companies? Did you get 30 no's? How many really gave you a no? Most people say they work on their project. They showed it to two, three companies. That's not working on your project. That's not really reaching out. So Tish, I'd kind of like to know maybe if you would make a summary. I don't know if I'll have enough time before the end here um, of what you did. Make a summary. Be honest. There's no reason to lie or exaggerate or under overemphasize. Just tell me exactly what you did. And I'll give you my two cents on if that was enough or not. <coughs> um, uh, Hustry said, uh, that's an interesting name. Uh, great prizes. Yeah, $10,000 worth of stuff, guys. So check that out um, on the InventRight TV channel right here. And the deadline on that is Sunday. Um, uh, Chad said, is there anyone who has experience in the paintball industry? Um I don't know, Chad, you don't need somebody who has experience in the paintball industry. You just need to make your list of potential licensees that are selling paintball related products and freaking license to them. You got to have a good sell sheet um, and or video. Maybe you want to demonstrate something there um, and reach out to them and file a PPA and reach out on LinkedIn, reach out phone, reach out via email. And if you want to become a student of ours, you're welcome to do that. You can go to InventRight and check out more info about that. We can coach you through it. Um, 
But the coach you get won't be like, I'm a paintball expert, nor do they need to be. They're a licensing expert. You're going to look at the, the landscape of all the players in the market, and you're going to reach out to the to, to all, the, all the players there. You know, um, But we've had people work on paintball stuff. I don't know, after 22 years, any of our students license a paintball thing. I don't know how many have worked on them either. So, But I, I know I've seen some paintball stuff. Um, uh, Matt says, Andrew, thank you for your time to enlighten us with your knowledge. We ask that you never leave us again. Never, ever leave us again. I didn't know what to do with myself. Well, first off, I was on freaking vacation, so give me a break. Um, I didn't miss a single one because there was a holiday, I think, 4th of July, and then there was my vacation. So I didn't miss a single one of these Mondays because I was sick with COVID. I missed it because one, I was on vacation and one was a holiday. So, God, I only left two weeks, but thank you for making me feel wanted. That's nice. Appreciate that. Um, is it possible from Tony to do this with a full-time job? Uh, thanks for what you guys do. Absolutely. I always tell our new students, if you have two to six hours a week, you have enough time. But it's very important you spend time working on your project every week. It's more important that you consistently work on your projects every week with two to six hours than it is you go crazy one week and don't do anything for four. I don't find that works. So that's what we do with our students. And that's if you don't become a student of ours, you should do that on your own. Okay. Now, if you're spending three hours a week and you're going in circles, that's not going to be helpful. But if you watch our videos, maybe you read our books, maybe you can do it on your own. Maybe you get help from us. But what I would say is absolutely you can do this full-time job, but you've got to actually set the time aside. So I'll give you a random example and you can figure out, you can do any variation of this. You go, okay, on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 7 to 9 p.m., I'm going to work on my stupid projects and I'm going to do it. I'm going to move forward. Whether that means watching an InventRight TV video, whether it means actually starting on a prototype or, or doing some research on other products in the space, but I'm going to do it. And this is just a random example. And if I don't get it my four hours in on Tuesdays and Thursday night, I'm going to do it on Sunday night. And no week is going to go by where I didn't get my four hours in or whatever it is you set aside. That's the mindset you have to have. It's a lot harder to do on your own. It's a lot easier to do when you have a coach and you know you're going to have a meeting in a couple of days and you got to get your shit done because your coach gave that to you and they told you how to do it. So you got no excuses, you know, but you could do this on your own, too. So I encourage you to spend two to six hours a week. If you don't set it aside, you're just going to keep thinking about it. And, and wandering around dreaming about your invention is not working on your invention making your hit list of companies, watching our InventRight videos um, so you get yourself educated because how can you work on something if you don't know what to do? And don't make assumptions. Don't go throwing monies at patent attorneys and prototypers because it's not necessary the vast majority of the time, okay? But set aside the time. So everybody should start doing that, okay? And that'll be, you have no idea how how helpful that will be, definitely. Um, so thank you, Tony, for that question. Um, Tish said, I'm on, um, with you on that, Andrew. Okay, great. <coughs> uh, Ethan said, Hey, Andrew, if you have an idea that, uh, is a modification to an existing thing, for an example, a backpack, would you mention a backpack and explain your changes or explain the backpack as well? Um, no, you're talking about in the PPA. I think that's what he's talking about. You're, you're going to explain what you're trying to protect. 
So you don't need to describe how a backpack works. We know how it works, but it, let's say the straps that go here, let's say there's a different adjustment strap. You want to get into it on how that thing works and cover the variations, workarounds, improvements. Do you need to explain all the workings of a backpack? No. You know, and so sometimes people like you're doing a fairly technical product, but your little piece of it's just this hinge on it. Do you need to understand all the inner workings of the base product? No, you don't. You don't have to most of the time. It depends on the product, but you don't. You don't most of the time. So hopefully that helps. I, I explain it that way to people and they go, oh, that's so helpful. I get it. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Nora said, thank you, guys. You're awesome. Happy to be part of the family. Wish me luck. I'm in the process of making my first children's game. So proud and excited to wish my fellow inventors best of luck always, which lots of cool um, uh, flowers and four-leaf clovers. I like that. That's great. Nora, good, good luck. We all we wish you all the best. Um, you, you're in the game. You're working on your product. That's fantastic. Uh, you got to work on the process, not just the product, though. So like making your list of companies, making a marketing piece, filing a PPA, getting a LinkedIn, all that stuff. So realize you got to do that as well, and you'll 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 be good. Um, uh, Kling Kling Klong is their handle. With regards to a video for prospective licensees, is there value to make it high production? It really doesn't need to be high production, guys. I've seen some really really crude videos, but they're well done, shot with people's iPhones. You know, um, sometimes it's just shot all the way through. But it does need to be good marketing. You know, like if you're like, hi, law, my name is Bob, and I have this new idea, and my family's been telling me forever that I have good idea. Okay, don't do that crap. Okay. Um, so, but it doesn't need to be high production value. And what people would consider a video, this is something I've been talking about lately. It doesn't have to be all moving pictures. A video could be a series of still images with a narrator, it could be a still image and then a quick video clip. And then another still image could be some text up on the screen. You can get creative with what that video is. Um, but uh, Mike, who licensed this, he's made a lot of money with this. This helps you hang uh, pictures on the wall, includes nails, and then it, it puts the nails in, and it's level and all that. Really cool product. Um, he did this product, and he spent a ton of much money on a professional video. And then he did one he just shot with his iPhone with his wife. And he's like, it was way more effective. We kicked the expensive one to the curb. That was a waste of money. So I'm not saying that with, if you want to, if you're good, you can get an iMovie or a software program on the PC if you're on a PC and you can edit it a little bit. But sometimes you can just record it all the way through and you're done. Sometimes the video goes along with the sell sheet. I have a lot of students that do a sell sheet. There's a link in the PDF that goes to the unlisted YouTube video. And, and it's just something, it just kind of expands upon it, right? Um, a lot of times you can also fake, you don't actually have a working prototype, but you can fake it with the way you shoot the video. And you're not lying to them. You're showing them the benefit of the product by doing that. It's perfectly okay. Never feel like you're lying to a company because you made it look like it worked when it didn't, but you're trying to relay the concept and the benefit. That's what you're selling, not your prototype. So um, it, it can. you don't need high production value. No, you really don't. You need to go out there and spend a bunch of money. Now, at the same time, you can find a high school or a college student that can help you um, piece it together. <coughs> However, if you 
aren't really clear about what you're trying to accomplish. Let's say you get a high school student, they come over to your house. You, you should have the storyboard all laid out. Like, okay, we want to shoot this scene, then this scene, this scene, this was being said. So they're like, okay, I get what I want to do here. Otherwise, you're just going to have garbage. And you're going to randomly say things. you got to lay out the storyboard. But the storyboard, which is like a cartoon strip, but you're not you're not doing a feature length movie here. It's 60 seconds or other uh, under or less. Maybe it's under 30 seconds. So it's not like rocket science. But if you want to pay somebody to help you like edit it and put it together, but sometimes you can just show it in one clip all the way through. You can shoot that on your on your phone, your Android or your iPhone. You know. Um, uh, Okay. Fung says, hi, Andrew. Is a fidget spinner a category as a novelty or a toy? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's funny when those came out. My daughter's nine now. She's just about to turn 10. And every kid had like 10 of those things. And I'm like, why do you need a fidget spinner? Well, because all our friends had one. right? And then it was Poppets. That was the, the one after that. If you guys don't have kids, you don't know what that is, you can look it up. But um, is it a novelty or a toy? Um, I think it's a, a a fad toy. That's a fad. Very hard to create a fad. Poppets is a fad. Uh, fidget spinners was a fad. Uh, but I think that's a toy. Um, a novelty is um, like a gag gift, a novelty item, something funny. Um, I think things that kids play with. I, I'm just speaking out loud here, thinking out loud. Things that kid actually play with, I would say definitely goes into toys most of the time. It's not a novelty, but it's a fad. So that would I would say the fidget spinner is a fad toy. That's my opinion. Uh, you know, you could split hairs. Isn't really. Um, let's see. Uh, James, I don't know that James said something earlier. He was saying he's expanding upon something as if he said something earlier. I don't know if all the you're, I'm trying to do both, to be honest. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, you have thought about purchasing. A, have you thought about purchasing a machine shop since you have to make so many molds and plants for different products? Well, I don't need to make molds for anything. Uh, rotating proxy VPN is overkill for this. LOL. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's good advice. But um, so he was saying a rotating proxy uh, as opposed to a VPN is overkill for this. Oh, proxy plus VPN. That was with regards to seeing what the search results for things are in other countries. If you're in another country, so you can see what it looks like it's in the US. Or in the US, you can see what it looks like in um, in Europe, for example. So, um, but with regards to, you know, so when you're licensing, I, I guess I'm not understanding what you're saying, James. Our students aren't making molds for anything. So when you license, that big company is going to make the mold for the product. They're not manu you're not manufacturing anything because you're licensing it. So I'm not really clear on that. But buying a machine shop to make molds for all this stuff, I mean, even if you're manufacturing your own product, no. I mean, my dad was a machinist, and he actually employed over 100 people at one point, and he was one of the first inventors of the CNC machine, which is pretty cool. So I was really inspired by my dad. Um, but... No, I don't think you need to purchase a machine shop for all that stuff, man. You know, it's like they're going to make the mold. They're going to manufacture it. That's what licensing is. But maybe I didn't fully understand it because I think you're expanding upon something else, but I don't see a question earlier. So sorry if I'm confused on that. Um, 
Uh, Sun Man said, hey, Andrew, say you sign a licensing deal, then you develop another product that competes with the company you have your deal with. Do you get, do you go to them with it? Do you license it elsewhere secretly? Um, well, uh, I think you should always give them the first chance to license it. If it's not the same product and it's not covered under your current license, you should give them the chance to license it first. Um, but to then secretly license that's going to hurt your sales for what you license, it's like, is that making sense? Um, I, I've never really come across that scenario where a student showed me that scenario and I'm like, oh, yeah, be careful. Like, I don't know. Sometimes people make up these scenarios and I'm like, never seen that in 22 years. Um, I think the answer is if if this is going to what the, what I'm going to tell you is something that's more important. OK. Uh, most of our students that have licensed a lot of products, they've licensed, they've expanded, they've licensed one product, and then they've done different iterations of it. They did a next version 2.0 of it, or they just helped make that product line a little bit bigger and expand on that existing product. And that's a great way to make a lot of money. License, license it to a company, they, that product's successful, show them how they can expand it. So rather than thinking you need to go around their back because you came up with a product that competes with them, like, like, why not license it to them? But if it's going to make your other product irrelevant and then you're thinking like, well, maybe I'll license it. I'll get money here. And I'll get money from them. I don't know. I can't say without looking at the product. And you you probably don't even have a particular product where that's true. You're just making up that scenario. I've never had seen that problem for our students. I just never have. Um, but if I looked at the specific product, I think I could tell you what would make sense. That's that's the only way I can really answer that. Uh, yeah, thank you, Fave, Faved Up. Um, appreciate the thoughts about. Uh, yeah, it really yeah it is sad that some people didn't make it with COVID. That really is. Yeah, I I had some really disturbing symptoms for just like three days. I would wake up um, feeling like I'm drowning about ten to twelve times a, a night. And I'd be coughing and I was on vacation in Hawaii. Great place for that. And my wife and my daughter were in the same room. And I think I woke them up constantly. I felt bad for them. But then that went away. But I could see that spiraling to become a lot worse because I'm, I'm 52, but I'm super healthy. Um, so I can only imagine like what an older person if they got the same thing I got. Um, yeah. And I think that really is sad that people lost their lives over it. Really, it's people lose their lives over anything it sucks um uh so dale was dale's a former event rights student yeah dale just just reach out um if you if you ever get interest we have some negotiation programs if you're a past student where you we can help you definitely um okay uh tish said i paid thirty two hundred dollars for my utility pad and $625 for maintenance fees. It's been 3.5 years since I had it. Okay. Well, that's very cheap for your utility patent. I mean, that, that must not be including attorney's fees unless you had a bargain basement attorney. Um, but yeah, that's why you don't want to spend that kind of money on a patent. I mean, that's cheap. People spend a lot more, you know, get a provisional gives you a whole year to go fishing. And so now you got to keep paying these maintenance fees. You got to decide at some point, Tish, you, you got to let it go, you know, but I don't think you're there yet. 
are you reaching out? Have you reached out to 30 companies? You got notes for 30 companies? Is your marketing material good? Are you reaching out the right way? Are you doing and saying the right things when companies are showing interest? Or are they not showing interest because you're not doing it right? Blah, 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 you know? But uh, file a patent, have it issue, and then hope you're going to license it. That's not the approach we teach. We have plenty of students that come on board having done that. And they're like, they're like all apologetic. I'm like, you don't need to apologize to me. You didn't understand that that it's not a good approach to do that. And there are always exceptions, so don't get me wrong. So, um, but you're not gonna, you, you don't wanna have, have to financially commit to a particular project um, if you don't have to, when the government gives you this cool thing called a PPA. But if you don't know how to reach out, then you just follow your PPA or your patent and you just sit on your hands and you go, well, I don't know, maybe somebody will see my patent on the patent office database and call me. Really? I mean, uh, I don't think you guys are pretty smart. I don't think any of you guys sitting here think that's going to happen. I, I hope not. If you do, it ain't going to happen. Um, you got to reach out actively to companies. Um, uh, Jen said, uh, morning, Andrew. Hope you get well soon. I have an old product idea with an expired PPA. Can I still submit it? Yeah, you can submit anything anytime. So, and if you if you submit a PPA and you didn't make a public disclosure, you just privately showed it, yeah, freaking file it again. Um, if I want to change the artwork to pivot differently, how much cost to, how much does it cost to change the artwork? I don't know. I don't know what artwork you have or who did it. Um, but yeah, you know, you could definitely a lot of licensing is pivoting, guys. You're pivoting all the time. Like you, you company um, said you, you're like, this is what it is. This is what it is. And they're like, well, we don't really like this. And you should be like, oh, let me think on that. Let me see if I can fix that. And you come back and you, you come up with a slightly different version of it. A lot of inventing is done after you contact the company. So um, that's fine. Pivot, change, you know, hopefully based on feedback. Um, uh, let's see. Okay, just a big round of comments. <coughs> okay, Dale, sounds good. If you want to do some research. All right, sounds good. Um, Sunman said the other product doesn't compete with my product, but another another product my pro my licensee produces. Oh, okay. It's always confusing when you get into this um, without looking at the actual product. The other product doesn't compete with my product, but another product my license fee produces. Oh, okay. Um, well, in that case, I would just, you already have a relationship with this licensee. It doesn't compete with the product you already licensed to them. So why wouldn't they be the first person you show a new product to? And if they're not interested and you want to license it somewhere else, that's that's great. Don't say that but you should be doing that. So yeah, I would show it to your, the company you already licensed it to because it doesn't compete with the product that they licensed. See, let them have first right, first right of first refusal. They already licensed one of your products. Give them a, give them a stab at it, definitely. Um, but worrying that, that, that they might be upset that you then license somebody else. No, you don't need to tell them, well, I'm going to license someone else then. You're a product developer. That's what you do. That's perfectly fine. You don't need to let them know. Oh, I license some product to somebody else to compete with one of your products. Come on, no, you don't. You're not obligated to tell them that. So if that's what you're getting at, I, I, yeah, it's fine. 
Okay. Um, Fung said, thanks, Andrew. I have the next fidget toy. Need to speak to my coach and see what he thinks. Yeah, I would. Um, you know, I, I, the fidget craze is, you know, the poppets came out and that's kind of like a fidget. It's not a fidget spinner, but it's a fidget type toy. And God, my daughter owns so many of the poppets. So yeah, show it to your coach and see what they think. But base it on the they, their opinion and your opinion should be based on the marketplace, not their personal opinion. Oh, that's cool. It's like, let's look at the other things. Let's look at their track records. Let's look at what's out there. Let's look at what's happening with the market right now. Um, yeah. Thank you, Trish. This is Andrew. You're the best. Feel better soon uh, on purpose. Cool. So I want to remind everybody to take care. Keep inventing. If you guys want to win our premium program or our academy program, please go to InventRight TV right here. Just click on the channel logo there. It'll take you there and you'll see that video with all the fireworks. And we're going to talk about the contest and the link in the description there. We'll give you the link to it to join that um, and to try to win over $10,000 worth of, of coaching. So I remind you guys, take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See ya. Bye.